Hello strangers and welcome to episode 37 of Strangers in a Cinema, your weekly dose of unfiltered film chat with one of your hosts, me, Paul Anderson, and your other host, Pete Wall. Pete, All right, how Paul, the devil are you? How's it going? Yeah, I'm I'm doing fine, man. Uh, glad to be back, excited to do a new show, and excited about the fact that we've got some new little tweaks and bits and pieces for this episode and going forward from here. Um, tell the listeners, Paul, about those changes. What are we going to do differently? So the core of the show that you hopefully love will basically remain the same, but we're going to change up a little, little bits here and there. So the intro, rather than just us asking each other awkwardly about our weekends and then someone not reciprocating or the other way around and then going, well, why didn't you invite me to that? Not not to say that that's never happened, I don't think, Pete, has it? But Yeah, uh, no, it, it definitely has a number of times, but just oh, okay. in one direction, oh, which is enough. you getting frozen oh, out fine. of shit. So, oh, fair, fair, um, yeah. No, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, this you're, you're absolutely right. The section in the beginning... If there's nothing there, it does get to be a bit forced yeah. and weird and unnatural. Like exactly what we're doing now, Pete, at this well, precise moment in time. I feel like what we're doing <laughs> is explaining the show. Um, yeah, so instead of that, what we're going to do is we're going to pull back on uh, a thing that we used to do in the in the old days of this podcast, which was called The Inbox. But it's going to be a little bit looser, a bit different to that, in so much as The Inbox represents what we're thinking about, what's come across our desks, not in that way. This last week, um, maybe it's film news, maybe it's a current obsession, maybe it's something that we've got into recently or that we want to tell everybody about. A bit like the content that we had in the credit section before now, but in up front at the beginning of the show so that we can get that out of our systems and then get into reviewing films right yeah absolutely i think the credit sequence kind of worked better when it was every three weeks but so we've, we've mixed it around a little bit let us know what you think if you want us to change it back tell us we probably won't but tell us anyway um and the other thing we're going to change up is obviously the credit sequence at the end is now going to go back to another old feature that we had yes it is uh which was something called homework yeah, yeah, film film related homework, obviously, but homework all the same. This is going to be the feature where Paul and I both force each other to watch a particular film in the coming seven days before we record the subsequent episode. Um, usually, or hopefully, always actually hooked into something from the show. So, for example, if we've covered uh, a horror movie in the review section, in the in the feature section, then maybe Paul is going to set me some kind of obscure and disgusting exploitation horror from the early eighties or whatever and I have no choice but to watch that film <laughs> and then review it on the next show and, and vice versa I think versa. you might get the worst end of this so much I may, to be honest, I may but... do I go into this with open eyes but it could still you know blow up in my face so we'll see how that goes but apart from that everything remains unchanged right we're still going to have popcorn movies we're still yeah. going to have coming attractions we're still going to of course have our feature reviews and those conversations which we enjoy so much and um, hopefully we'll just have a slightly better version of the show we are so with that we'll crack on with the show as you know and love it uh, feature reviews this week will be uh, Lost City of Zed and Ghost in the Shell. Uh, but before we get to that, we've obviously got popcorn movies to cover. So, um, Pete, I'll let you jump in first with popcorn movies. I What's feel your... like, Paul, we've just explained the new first section of the show and then you've jumped over it into the second section of the show. So, the inbox section <laughs> is coming up. I completely <laughs> jumped over that. See, yeah. listeners, it's not easy yeah. to do this kind of stuff. It takes a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of um, thinking on your feet. Maybe and... some, or paying attention to what was going well, on. So... Well, that, yeah. and also this is the first week, so, you know, it's bound to happen. We're so used to jumping into those popcorn reviews, but let's do it, man. Like, what, what inbox feature are you bringing this week? The inbox feature I am bringing this week is the news that Joss Whedon uh, is to write and direct a DC movie, not a Marvel movie, a DC movie, uh, Batgirl. Um, this is an interesting one because I think whatever you think of the Marvel movies now, 
Uh, I think Joss Whedon did a lot of good for comic book movies. I thought Avengers was a lot of fun, if not particularly well shot. Um, and Joss Whedon being involved in DC could be the shot in the arm that the DC universe needs. Um, hot on the heels of the news that apparently the new Justice League is going to run to a 10 minute show three hours long so yes. I think the Jeez. DC Universe is in desperate need of some fun kicking back into it and Joss Whedon could be the man to do it but watch this space do we know anything sort of cast wise or anything no, like that nothing at this point? That, literally that's so this is hot a, off the press a yeah. year two years away I don't know yeah obviously. it's going to be it's down to I write mean, and direct yeah so. if, you're, if you're getting early news now it's, it's got to be a little while mm. off but yeah exciting so it will start, be interesting then. I think but yeah, and I mean, you know, on this show, uh, we fairly we've got fairly established positions where Paul um, is a bigger authority on on comic book based movies, and I'm definitely not. And I think that when you tell me this kind of stuff, it makes me feel like maybe there's a hope for a sort of upturn. Yeah. in, in and some I'm getting bored of comic book movies at the moment, so that you know there is a there's desperate need for change. I think, but we'll yeah. see. Um, my uh, my inbox entry for this week is um, typically um, slightly outside of what I was actually supposed to do because the thing that really I've been not obsessed with but thinking about a lot and, and delving into this week is a podcast. It's another podcast. Others than this do exist. Um, this one is called S-Town. Paul, do you know about S-Town? I have known nothing about S-Town. Do you know why I know nothing about S-Town? Because I've just been playing Zelda all week. Right, so fair, I've fair done enough. very little this week apart from playing Zelda. So please tell me about S-Town and maybe it can distract me did, from that. Did you, I, I don't know, listeners, some, some of you will know of this. Did you um, ever listen to Serial? that blew up as like a, a sort of podcast sensation yes I a think year I'd, or two years not a ago. lot of it but I did listen to a couple of episodes so Serial was Sarah Koenig's show where she told the story uh, in the first season anyway of a murder and trying to piece together the clues to solve a murder that happened in the past this one is um, from the uh, from NPR who were responsible for Serial, but it's a very different story. It's about a journalist working for This American Life at NPR, the other show, who received an email from a guy called Brian, um, and the guy said, um, like, my name is Brian and I live in Shittown, Alabama. And that was his subject line. And from there, the journalist gets to know him a little bit and how he feels that in the town in which he lives, in Alabama, there has been a brutal murder which has been covered up by by the authorities. That's the kind of jumping off point with the podcast. Where it goes from there is completely different to what you might expect that to be and becomes a fascinating character study of this guy and everything that sort of circulates around this guy. And to bring this tenuously back to direct references to film, yeah. has a very interesting connection to the um, movie from what now ten years ago, Brokeback Mountain. Okay, um, is is quite central to the film, I would say, um, and this character in the film. So yeah, it's it's a fascinating sort of slice of life in a part of the world that is very much removed from the one in which we live anyway here in rural Cheltenham. But um, rural yeah. Cheltenham. Compelling stuff. I mean, recently people have gone crazy for um for missing Richard Simmons, which I think is one of the biggest wastes of my time in podcasting that there has been in in a number of years, or maybe since podcasting started. So forget about that and get into S Town if you have the chance. Okay, get into S Town. I will give it a go if I can stop playing Zelda, <laughs> which I can't promise. That's amazing, by the way. Listen, so I'm going to just drop that in. Yeah. Believe the hype. It's probably the finest video game. Since the last, of well, it's us. Funny, so only about ten hours in. Because because when when we were talking about this earlier, and I said, oh, you, you know, throw Zelda into this section. Why not? And then we thought, well, 
if they made a movie out of Zelda, it would almost certainly be just terrible. I was desperate to try and shoehorn it in, yeah. And then we thought, no, a Zelda movie would be crap. So I've shoehorned it in. There we go. Zelda's amazing. Now we can go to popcorn movies. Yeah, let's we? get into now it. I'm, now I'm getting it right. I'm back on. I'm back on track now, listeners. I'm there back we on go. Track. So we're going to popcorn movies. Uh, Pete, what is your first popcorn movie of the week? Uh, popcorn movie number one for me is one that I've been wanting to talk about for a little while, and that is L. Um, L is the film, rather controversial, divisive film from. Paul Verhoeven, which was available worldwide last year in the UK just a week or so ago. But uh, not in Sydney World in Cheltenham. Not in Sydney World in Cheltenham, of course, naturally. Um, <laughs> yes, I mean, those of you who've seen it will have formed your own opinion, I'm sure, already. Those of you who haven't, to fill you in on the sort of the background of this thing, um, Isabelle Huppert is the star. Um, she plays a woman who, at the very beginning of the film, within the first couple of minutes, is violently sexually assaulted in her apartment, um, in a French apartment, it's set in France. And from that point, we're led on a journey with her to uncover the truth behind the attack and how she sort of feels about and processes said attack. It's also important to say that the Isabelle Huppert character in this film works for a video game um, production house who produce graphically violent video games. And at a certain point, there is the suspicion that there might be a connection between her work life and the sort of horror that she seems to have gone through in her personal life. Paul, you've seen this as well. What did you make of Elle? It's a very, very odd film, I think. And... um... Yeah, I, I only I literally only watched it this morning as it happened, so it's quite fresh in my mind. Uh, it's it's quite a powerful piece. I think her performance in the lead is absolutely fantastic. Stunning, yeah, stunning. Um, I think there's, I think as we were talking just before the show, there are some questions of whether it's whether it is a feminist piece, whether it isn't a feminist piece. Uh, it, again, without without trying to give away too much spoilers, how what the way the story develops is very strange. To be perfectly honest, I don't think I've really fully processed fully process what I thought of, of what the film's trying to say. Yeah, I mean, and if indeed it is trying to say anything at all. We, we can't, as we say to ad infinitum on this, this show, we, we can't spoil the film. We're not going to spoil the film, but at the same time, it's fair to say that this is not a standard rape revenge film, which no. is what it might seem like at the outset, right? Yeah, and that, that's absolutely, and that's what I kind of thought I was going into. And I'll give I'll credit where credit's due for to Paul Verhoeven, who is a director that I mostly love. In fairness, uh, he has made something that does feel, for me, almost entirely original from start to finish. It, it's a very different film to anything else you'd like to have experienced, mm. and certainly a very different film to your more traditional rape revenge filler, rape rape revenge film, say Miss Forty Five or. Um, I spit on your grave, I spit or on your grave, so on yeah. and on and on, yeah. which can sometimes be fairly um, formulaic and lazy and sort of wrong-headed, I think, mm. because they're set up as a quote big air quotes because it doesn't work in an audio production to do air quotes. Um, they they can be presented as if they are in some way feminist and empowering because the female who is attacked then wreaks revenge on on yeah. the perpetrators when in fact it's an excuse to show a scantily clad woman running around in the woods trying to kill people with various weapons which yeah. I think is very much aimed at a sort of male audience to, to begin with and to end with really um, yeah it's a lot more interesting than that this film um, there are some great comic moments in it there's some mm. great like sort of comedy of manners yeah, stuff her relationship with her mother be, but, yeah. for example the yes. relationship with her mother is, is wonderful and her mother with yeah. this sort of much younger boyfriend is fantastic um, her relationship this strange relationship with her son and her son's 
girlfriend um, trying to set up their lives together with complete and sort of withering disapproval from Isabella Pair is, is really entertaining. She's fantastic. I mean, she's fantastic in so many things that you've probably heard from any other sources who've talked about this film, but it is worth it for the Huppert performance alone. Further than that, you've, yeah, as Paul was intimating, you, you've really got to draw your own conclusions from this film because it's going to leave people all over the map I think in terms of opinion but I, I said I just bear in mind before you go in that as much as it as much as it, it looks like it looks art house uh, and, and it feels quite art house in places it's still a Paul Verhoeven film and Paul Verhoeven does enjoy lavish use of violence um, to norm to normally very good effect and I just think I just think this this film will certainly split audiences completely down the middle as to whether they think it's feminist Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But what it is, is a very interesting watch. And certainly he's achieved the goal of getting people to talk about it. Yeah, and he's, he's basically sort of thrown a dirty bomb into the middle of an area and, and just kind of step back to see what happened from that I think I think Paul Hoven, Paul Verhoeven excuse me, sees the controversy and the debate as an end in itself, I think, really. And I think if you've got any interest in, if you've got any interest in film, then watch it. Yeah, it's, it's certainly whatever you make, whether you like it or dislike it, I think is almost irrelevant to a film like this because of how it handles its subject matter. It's very different. It does feel very fresh, and for that reason, I, I, came, I came down liking it. I did. I came down on the side of liking it, but it is bizarre. Take us out of here, Paul. What have you got for your first popcorn for this week? Um, I've got uh, an anime uh, from last year called Your Name, uh, directed by Makoto Shinkai, I believe. Um, if I've said that wrong, I apologise. I think I'm okay on that one. Um, Your Name is, uh, as I said, an animated film from back end of last year, I think it hit UK cinemas. Uh, and basically, it starts in quite a confusing way. You've got a young boy and a young girl. The guy lives in Tokyo. The girl lives in a rural, like a rural town, a small rural town on, on the outskirts of Tokyo, essentially, or, or slightly further away. Um, and it's initially quite confusing starting for about the first half an hour. You, you're not entirely sure of what's going on. Um, and the, the central premise is they are, for some unknown reason, they are occasionally swapping swapping into each other's bodies. Uh, and it's done in such a charming way. Like he wakes up as a teenage girl and kind of grabs her own, grabs her own boobs and stuff like that. And you're like, as much as that sounds a bit seedy, it's really not. It's, it's very charming the way these, these two characters are kind of confused. And then they start to realise they are swapping lives with each other and then they leave messages on each other's phones. Um, and then something happens and you're like, wow, okay, this is this is very cool. There's an, This is all done under under uh, a comet coming very close to the Earth. Um, so there's a mystery revolving around that. Um, quite frankly, and again, to say more, it's quite difficult sometimes with films that have big plot twists. It's quite difficult to review them without giving away the plot twist, which I'm not going to do. Um but quite frankly, by the end, it's one of the most heartwarming films I've seen in years. And it's so well handled. It's it's so sad in places. It's very happy in others. And it's just, it's a fantastic piece of cinema. Absolutely yeah. fantastic piece I've heard of good things from other places as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm keen to uh, to get hold of that and, and watch it. Just, it's it's just sharply written, just emotion, yeah, emotional powerhouse, shall we say. Well, I've got something that is not an emotional powerhouse or much of anything else. It's my second popcorn pick of the day. Uh, guys, sometimes when we do this weekly now, I have to dig back into films that I've seen and deliberately didn't bother reviewing on the show because they weren't necessarily worth the time and dredge one of those cadavers out for, for your <laughs> listening pleasure. So that's why I get to John Hamburg's uh, masterpiece. Why him? 
question mark. Why I him? The, I thought the trailer looked quite funny. Is it not? It, it's not. It's very, very not funny, um, as, as one of my English students might tell me. Yes, uh, this one is a vehicle for your boy James Franco to do a lot of like gurning and stuff. But the basic setup is that um, Brian Cranston's daughter is in a relationship with James Franco's character. James Franco, it turns out, is a sort of, um, I guess, multimillionaire, if not billionaire, from the... Um, tech bubble and particularly developing like online applications and games and stuff like that so it's modern again those air quotes which are not useful here um yeah it's it's modern and sort of of the time but it's also incredibly incredibly tired and so <laughs> we get this um kind of meeting of two worlds where brian cranston is a stand-up guy who runs a paper company but get this in the digital age paper is becoming unnecessary so imagine the hilarity that ensues when he meets a guy who is living in a paperless world um yes james franco is for me um not so much a marmite actor as more like a like tinned dog shit actor where (laughs) you either hate it or it's made you really badly ill in the past um I, I just I just don't get it. I don't get the James Franco thing. I don't get when he's been good. I can't remember. Maybe 127 hours because he had to mutilate himself. I enjoyed seeing that. Aside from that, I mean, what, am Are I wrong? Are not a fan? It's... But, no, tell me. Don't, you know, don't... I, say... I, quite, liked him. I quite liked him in Spring Breakers. Um... Oh, God damn Spring Breakers. Harmony Kareen as well brought into this horrible... Well, you do hate Harmony Kareen. I should have remembered this from, from last week's episode, in fact. In Spring Breakers, oh. he just gets to be... Riff, rips off that guy Riff Raff and just talks about, like, he's misogynistic and has a bunch of money. I like James, Frank- I like James Franco enough. I don't think he's amazing. I think he's. I think he probably thinks he's a lot cleverer than he is. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think I hate him as much as you hate him. I've got. I've got one reason for you to watch Why Him. One alone. One name. Brian Paul. Cranston. No, but Brian Cranston's fine. But he should be ashamed of himself. Uh, Keegan Michael Key's in it, and he okay. and he plays an eccentric character. Now, I would still say it's probably the least funny thing I've ever seen him do. But that guy's that guy's a funny guy, so you know. I think I might have just changed my homework suggestion for you with all the uh, James Franco. Uh, oh please hate. don't! But please we'll don't! See. You, we'll, you can't do. I might. That. I might. We'll see. We'll see uh, how I feel at the end uh, of the show. Uh, but... At one point in this film, a glass case filled with bison's urine floods the room covering all of the people there and we end on a shot of the it's like an elk or a bison with its testicles on the face of a teenage boy if that sounds like the kind of thing you're into get yourself to your streaming service or whatever and find uh why him get us out of here paul what have you got right next up there seems to be a very japanese theme to today's episode but i'm gonna roll with it and my next film is japanese horror creepy uh, directed by Kayoshi Kurosawa, uh, who I think has done other Japanese films, although I struggle to name them off the top of my head. Well, he's unlikely to have done other German films, I guess. In fairness, yes, <laughs> it's very, un- very unlikely. So, uh, just to set Creepy up uh, quickly, so you have a kind of retired. You, the opening, the opening of the film is a cop interviewing a serial killer. Uh, the serial killer escapes. The cop tries to talk him down. It goes wrong. The cop get in, the cop gets injured. The cop then retires to a family life with his wife, quietly away in the suburbs. Um, they move into this new house. They start to introduce themselves to the neighbours. They meet this one guy who is especially creepy. 
air quotes again. This is going to be the, the air quotes episode, uh, who is very creepy. Um, and there again, I shall leave it for the setup. Um, what follows is, I would say, almost the perfect first hour mm-hmm. of a film. Mm-hmm. It's almost perfect. The film looks fantastic. The first hour, the sense of mystery... Um, and sorry, just to just to go back to this up a little bit. In the meantime, the the retired cop gets dragged back into investigating some murders, and there may be a connection with the creepy neighbour. So sorry, just to add that into it. So yes, the first half of this film is nigh on perfect. The film looks absolutely amazing. The sense of mystery and the way they build the investigation is absolutely superb. The second hour, things get a little bit silly, and. For, <laughs> It's difficult because obviously with horror you 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 are expected to suspend belief, um, but when you have such a grounded and realistic setup, for me, the, even if it is horror, then the payoff needs to be a little bit more grounded and realistic. And for me, although don't get me wrong, it, the supernatural doesn't come into play. I'll, I'll hasten to hasten to add that it just got a bit. It stretched the realms of plausibility a little bit too much. It doesn't ruin it. It's still a very well put together film, mm. uh, and I would definitely recommend it as if it's certainly for fans of the genre but it just stretches it a little bit to the end and it's a slight shame because as i said that first hour is just amazing did you ever see the mark duplass movie creep no ah, no it cogs moving okay. in, in my head when it comes to no. this homework thing as well uh good stuff well um yeah that brings us to the end of our popcorn movie section i think doesn't it does it not if i've counted up to four you have counted up to four yes we're all, we're all struggling we're all struggling with sections this evening yeah, not anymore, man, because that brings us to coming attractions. So, uh, as you know, as we are want to say on this show, you get into the screening room, you sit down in your seat, and you see some trailers, whether you like it or not. Or if you're Paul, you see the trailers, because, you know, he's a bit sad and turns up half an hour early. If you're me, you don't see any of them, but we're going to do coming attractions, uh, because it's going to be a way out of unprovokingly attacking Paul. And at um, some point, you'll miss the beginning of a movie, and I'll have the last laugh. Never happened, but uh, it's uh, it almost will. It happened will. a couple of times. It will. It's almost it totally happened. Will. It well, totally uh, will. Well, yeah, coming attractions anyway for this week. Uh, obviously, these are films that we're looking forward to coming out in the near future. For my part of this bit, uh, Neruda is my choice. That is Pablo Neruda to you. The title of the film is Neruda. It's from your boy Pablo Lorraine, who we know and have talked about in, re- in relation to <laughs> to Jackie. Yes, uh, Jackie, which. Weirdly, sort of fell between a few gaps of between two posts. I think to a certain extent with like award season and stuff like that. Maybe didn't quite get the shine that we thought it might at a certain point on it's, that run. Jackie still sits there as possibly my number one film of the year. We shall see. I, I loved it. it Absolutely loved it. It wasn't as high for me, but I really oh, liked more it. More homework ideas. Actually. I, I really pa- liked maybe it. Maybe some more Pablo Lorraine stuff for you. But anyway, go on. Sorry. So yeah, Pablo Neruda, um, of course, is the. Chilean or in in uh, homage to a person from my past I'm going to say Chilean poet um, and this uh, well synopsis wise uh, an inspector hunts down Nobel Prize winning Chilean I can't Chilean poet Pablo Neruda who becomes a refugee a refugee becomes a fugitive in his home country in the late 1940s for joining the communist party um the reason to get into this is because jackie was so strong because pablo lorraine i think is an interesting filmmaker you've seen more of his stuff than i have but you gave the thumbs up i think as far as i can remember and um gail garcia banal is the star and he is largely very good yes so yeah it's it's a he's a poet that i like that's a main actor that i like as a director that i like bang so 
combination that I'm going to go for. Paul, what have you got? I join you in your excitement, Pete, for that one. Um, a film that you know you said we're looking forward to, I think more it could be of interest, I think, is um, the new adaptation of Stephen King's It. Mm. Now, this apparently, as of today, I think is the most watched trailer in a 24-hour period. Why? With like 200 million Tell me why. Who's, dire- who's directing this? Uh, Andre Muschietti. Oh, that guy. Who directed Mama, which was average at best. Oh, yeah, but she Jessica Chastain did look amazing. Best of the best. Yeah, best of the best award winner right there. Yeah, best of the best award winner, certainly. So, anyway, it, going back to that, um, it's a project that I think the trailer looks good. Uh, I don't think it's difficult to cut together a good horror, horror trailer, though, so bear that in mind, because a lot of crap horror films have good trailers. I and to be seen... fair, sorry to jump back to yeah. what you just said, but like parts of Mama were really cool yeah, they the were, yeah. feral kids stuff in that was yeah, great was the CGI cool, yeah. stuff was dreadful yes. so I wonder whether yeah. you know this is going to fall on the on the good or bad side so the reason for my concern is that I, a much better director uh, well certainly a much more proven director Kari Fukunawa um, known for Sin Nombre, Sin Nombre. Um, first season of True Detective uh, Beast of No Nation super, absolutely superb director uh, walked away from the project citing creative differences so I'm concerned that it won't be very good it won't be very good you see what I've done there Pete oh it yeah because that's the name of the film yeah. isn't it okay. yeah uh, <laughs> feature reviews time <laughs> <laughs> let's get to we need some more bombast feature let's get to it again right anyway moving on from the it joke Feature reviews. Pete, what have you got first? What are we doing what have first I this got? Week? What have we got? Yeah, as as mentioned earlier in the show, the first feature review, and I think we should just calm, our, just slow our roll down into this one, just move in smoothly. This is The Lost City of Zed. The Lost City of Zed, uh, directed by James Gray, is a film that charts a sort of one man's obsession with finding a mythical city that he believes exists deep in the South American jungle, if I'm not mistaken. Bolivian jungle. Bolivian jungle. And he is absolutely convinced that if he returns to this place and works hard enough and ventures enough, he will eventually find this sort of uh, El Dorado type place um, of his dreams. Paul... What have I missed in this setup of this thing? I mean, cast wise, cast wise, you've got Charlie Hunnam from um, Sons of Anarchy. I think and we queer about, as folk. Yeah, we, we talked about this in the when we talked about um, coming attractions last week. Uh, Robert Pattinson, uh, very understated in this, I thought. Very um, beardy in this as yeah, well. Yeah, and Sienna Miller on good form this time around, I think. Yeah, funny, um, yeah. <laughs> funny. Let's start on that because we have Sienna Miller here playing a character whose husband has a singular and rather, you could say, selfish vision for his own personal um, sort of improvement and goes away periodically for long periods of time, returning only for short scenes with Sienna Miller. It sounds a little bit familiar, like doesn't it? American Sniper. It's exactly what she did in American Sniper. But, yeah, Which is I, where the comparisons of the American Sniper end. In well, like, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I did not like her in that film. I like her more here, but I'm not sure that you can blame her entirely for that difference in so much as I just think she has better material to work no, with. No, and I think Char- Charlie Hunnam's another actor um, who I think is good in this, um, and I quite like in Sons of Anarchy, although he does have a reputation for being a little bit wooden, but I, I like Charlie Hunnam in this. Talking of being wooden, he also turned down Fifty Shades of Grey, didn't he? He did, yes. That guy. Yes. So yeah, he made a smart move there to get himself down to so the jungle with, cast, with Pattinson. So cast all on good form, I think, in this. 
yeah. would, would be a good would be a good starting point for what what we thought. Yeah. Um, I thought in it at the film's best, um, at the film's best, it kind of channeled uh, Aguirre, Wrath of God. Uh, a lot of it felt a bit like a boy's own adventure. Uh, not an adventure with the boy band Boy Zone, but an actual boy's own adventure. So I've said that a bit quickly um, and kind of felt quite old school. I ha- for me, I haven't really seen a film that's kind of explorers in the jungle for quite some time that isn't a, that isn't a straight up horror film. So I quite enjoyed those elements of it. It felt quite old school in places, which I liked. Yeah. And I mean, this is based on a, a true story, as many things are right of uh, the guy in question is Percival or Percy Fawcett. Mm. And it was his um, his obsession was to try and find this this city, this mythical place. And I think, though, Paul, that where maybe narratively this film has a bit of a problem and maybe some audiences aren't reacting as positively as they might have to it is in the sense that the actual um, ventures into the jungle, which are obviously going to make up the meat of the film, feel to me like they're, they're somewhat a case of diminishing returns because... Early on, when we go to the jungle for the first time, we get some really gripping, beautifully shot sequences of tension and exploration. And, you know, you never know when an arrow is going to fly out from within the foliage. You never know what's going to be in the water around the boat. This is the stuff that you sign up for if you go for a film about jungle exploration. But then when we go back to the jungle a second time and eventually a third time, we not only get a shorter period of time in the jungle, but we actually get a less eventful period of time in the jungle by and large which I think makes for a slightly uneven feeling or maybe not such a propulsive feeling narrative here do you I, agree with that? I hadn't thought of it like that until and, until you brought that up actually but yes uh, in short I, I would agree with you on that certainly the the first trip to the jungle I, I thought was genuinely exciting and I was in, I was enjoying every second of it I thought oh, this is great and like, it, as I said it just it harked back to like a more innocent age of cinema, if for, mm. for want of a if want of a better description, and a sort of golden age, like a sort of yeah, a beautiful yeah, like African queen, like African queen kind of thing, or you know that kind that kind of sensibility to it, and I really like that. And um, it's interesting, actually. It's the kind of it's the kind of film that I wouldn't have normally ventured to the cinema to see, but because we're doing the podcast on a weekly basis now, it almost makes you see more films like this. And yes, so the criticisms are there, and I've drifted off topic a little bit there. No, go but, ahead. But yeah, but it's. It's good if it's not great, and there's a better film in there, I think. I think yeah. there is a better film in there. And I mean, it's it's funny because there were moments in this film, even, you know, minutes at a time, where I was really enraptured with what James Gray had achieved because visually some of it is absolutely beautiful mm. and not only, like, still image beautiful, but camera movement beautiful, camera placement beautiful, where you get such an immersive sense of this journey and almost to get to the point where you feel as if you can relate to why the Charlie Hunnam character is so obsessed yeah. with so making this to go back despite having a young family despite, home, yeah, yeah and even when it comes to be to the point of you know the detriment of his, his family let's be honest and the people around him who kind of want him to make the you know familial choice of staying back home mm. and maybe looking after your increasingly larger brood of children he keeps going back and it's almost like he's a you know like a, a, a drug addict who just needs that next fix and it comes in all different forms and so I think as a study of a sort of very let's be honest um, I think you would agree uh, thematically sort of male 
obsession. Yeah. I think it's quite a male film. And I think the way that myself and my girlfriend reacted to it, I said to her afterwards, I I do feel that you maybe have a more positive reaction to this if you are male. A bit like some people said about Boyhood, for no, example. No, I, I, I would... Uh, I'm not sure on Boyhood but I completely agree about the reaction to this film because I went to see it with my girlfriend and she just came back to me and that was so fucking boring and I went I quite liked it and then obviously we had the similar conversation and I think your other half was like yeah it was so fucking boring and you were like I quite liked it so that's, that's an interesting you know that's an interesting yeah. take on it from a male and female perspective but I think it's true and I, and, I, and I don't say the Boyhood comparison lightly but I think that that is a film again that, that you would identify with growing up as a male in a family so you know actually, ma- yeah I suppose I do see what you're saying actually, because uh, yeah not everyone sees that the same obviously no but no I, I do see what you're saying and it, it harks back to something I said before where it felt like a an old school boys own adventure mm. like it was like a like in like the old comics you'd be like you'd say I read probably that I probably read my dad's that he still had lying around yeah. where it would be like swallows and amazons or that it had that kind Absolutely. of that kind of feel to it so there's there's enough to like I think it could have been better but it's certainly uh, I'm gonna do it worth a watch <laughs> <laughs> yeah may well be worth a watch Tom Holland also we haven't even mentioned yeah, Spider-Man's in it Tom yeah new <laughs> young young Spider-Man who seems to be in everything because he was just so good in the impossible, the impossible right? yeah. yeah no yeah. I, I don't that's another one I'm not saying it's James Franco level but I'm not sure I fully understand why Tom Holland is suddenly booked for every film but um, yeah he plays Charlie Hunnam's son in this and uh, is is fine um, but yeah I think towards the end of the film I started feeling like it's more fine than the kind of wonderful work that I felt that it was at certain points yeah I think it does journey. it does drift downstream yes no that's good like um, stick to that honestly a little bit yeah uh, it, but it it's, it's not bad and there's, there's a lot worse there's a lot worse films you could watch than, than the lost city of zed i think yeah absolutely it's better than falling into a river full of piranha fish let's put it yes. that way um right let's get out here and into our next feature review i'm excited so, about this feature review let's lean I back am. and fall off a building into our next genuinely review. excited about this so the next feature review is the uh much anticipated possibly um us reworking i'm not going to say remake because that's not entirely true of ghost in the shell directed by rupert sanders um yeah i mean some people came into this obviously with trepidation didn't they because of the very fact that it's taking a pretty beloved mid nineties well, Japanese anime and turning it into something. I'll let you set else. up the premise, and then I've got quite a lot to say on this. So I'm gonna, I might, I might rant a little bit against what I describe as militant geeks, but I'll let you, I'll let you set up the <laughs> set up the premise. It's a bit first. Of a, a foreshadowing, yes, there yes. for our show. Uh, yeah, okay. So um, if you're not aware already, this is um, very much a star vehicle for Scarlett Johansson. Um, synopsis wise she plays a character called Major Um, she's a human saved from a crash she is then um, gifted let's say a cybernetic physical form but she has got the brain of the individual who was saved from this crash that you don't see that happens before the, the events of the film so from the beginning we get a setup that's not dissimilar to what we see at the beginning of Under the Skin where again Scarlett Johansson is kind yeah. of being created Fish out of water kind of using technology yeah. right and then we get dropped into this future Japan world of um ultra advanced technology whereby um 
it seems to be that you're almost in a world of warring factions of computer programmers and hackers, right? Yeah. That's that's where Ghost yeah. in the Shell that's is. It's a good setup, and that that's essentially the, sets up the world that was set up so well in the in the '90s original. Um, just a bit of um, preamble about how much of a fan I am of the Ghost in the Shell animes. Um, I very nearly got a Laughing Man tattoo done. Uh, I have seen, I believe, both series of Standalone Complex at l twice, I think. Uh, I've seen Ghost in the Shell one and two more times than I care to remember. I'm not au fait with the Rise or the new movie, but I'm aware that they're out there. And I'm a big fan of the Solid State Society movie. So, take that, Ghost in the Shell geeks. Uh, which Now, what I'm going to say is this. I quite like this. And mm. what I'm going to say about the Militant Geeks is a lot of people have made their mind up on this movie before it's even come out. Don't see it. Yeah. Just don't go and see it. I don't care what you think. Stay. I've read so many things that have just been nitpicking this film. Like, oh, it's not like this, and it's not like this, and it's not like this, and it's not like this. In exactly that voice. And you're like, well, well yeah. And but, but that you you put your finger on a really I think significant point, right? You get this debate a lot, particularly online, but also in person with people that you meet. When people say, <laughs> when, when people say, you know, why why the hell is like Hollywood remaking this thing? Like, oh, it's sacrilege, whatever. Okay, fine. Like you said, Paul. If you think it is such sacrilege, stay home. Don't go and see it. But if you go and see it purely so that you can kind of, as the kids would say these days, hate watch and just come out of it and go like, yeah, I knew it was going to be shit because it wasn't, you know, true to this, this, this and this, whatever your preconceived ideas of the film would be, then sorry, like you're, you're wasting your own time and ours, really. I know you're wrong. My expectations weren't high. They were not, because Hollywood doesn't generally do a good job of, of rehashing other, other people's products. But even the original director had no problem with the casting of Scarlett Johansson. He didn't really have a problem with the film being remade. Um, so yeah, if, you don't, if, you know, if you've decided you don't go and like it, don't go and see it, full stop. Don't sit there and go... Because enough of that. I mean, okay, so let's get into this, because I would say, I guess my easy, fairly lazy kickback on what you've just said about the director's consent, because I've heard this all over the place, is if you were getting, presumably, a fairly decent payday when Hollywood chooses to adapt your original material, you'd probably be all right but with whatever they're doing Also, with it, don't right? forget, don't forget that the original Ghost in the Shell anime would have been made with the intention of making money. Everything, for the most part, is made with the intention of making money. Right. So, but that anyway. does But that doesn't mean that you can't acknowledge the point that maybe even this iteration of Ghost in the Shell would have been better with a Japanese actress. I mean, that's kind of fair no, enough. No, I don't. It? I actually don't believe it would have done because I think she is physically, in terms of physical appearance of the of the cyborg of the major, mm. probably perfectly suited to the role. Well, it, it of helps how the, that, of how the major looks in the anime. Whether that it, it that helps that they made her hair and makeup look like a Japanese person. Yes, that but I also help. think that facially, I think she looks a lot like character personally. Yeah, but um, I mean that's been helped. Yeah, yeah it has been helped. I think yeah. it's between the yeah. two points, Paul, because you know, and we don't have to agree on this because I don't have like a sort of wildly uh, angry feeling about whitewashing in this film at the same time and we can get into this I think that as much and yeah as much as and we can't skip over this fact Ghost in the Shell the new version of Ghost in the Shell is beautiful be visually incredibly yeah. good looking I did have a slight issue with 
having, for example, dialogue sequences between Scarlett Johansson speaking in English and Bitsukeshi speaking in Japanese and then back to English and back to Japanese. And I know that we can say this is because the, all these characters understand all the languages. At the same time, to me, that feels like a convenient out from the point that it is just and a I'll, bit I'll give you that, yeah. No, certainly there's questions that need to be asked of, of, of those kind of things. And, and I'll give you that. And Hollywood is guilty of that 100%. But... I'm going to start with what I thought. Yeah. And with the context of how much a fan I am, mm. I really quite liked it. Mm. I genuinely quite enjoyed this film. If you were to just remake the original film again, I'd be sitting here and we'd be... It's weird. It's funny to see that it would be the Beauty and the Beast situation all over again. If they just remade the, the original anime film, you'd sit there and go, why bother? Mm. Um they need to adapt it. It's a product. It's meant to make money. And it's a film that's meant to appeal to different audiences than the original anime. Now, that's just how it is. So it needs to be different. They are different forms. And it needs to be it needs to be handled differently. Um, it's not the best film I've ever seen. It's not the disaster that a lot of people were expecting it to be. For me, it was constantly entertaining from start to finish. Um, a lot of people, a lot of the criticism I've read is that oh, I didn't get the major character and she was questioning herself and she was doing this and she was doing that. Now, my response to that would be is that no, she wasn't that confident in a character, but a lot of people going into Ghost in the Shell are going in for the first time. There are a lot of there are people that wouldn't necessarily normally go to what is considered very, very geeky sci-fi, which Ghost in the Shell is. Um, not to its detriment, I hasten to add, that's not a criticism. I love that kind of stuff. So it's got to appeal to a different audience. Um, <coughs> I rather enjoyed it. Uh, I think you, you need to you need to remember that going into this film, not everyone has the context of two TV series, possibly a rise of people that there's people that have seen that. Not everyone's got the the years of context on the major character, and for the most part, I think they did a decent job. I think the yeah. the main villain was weak. Michael Pitt was amazing as Q's, um, and I think they did a good job of amalgamating lots of different things from both Ghost in the Shell one and two and standalone complex, and gelling those together. So I I liked it. Okay, no, I, I, I'm with you on, on liking the film. I did like the film. I think that, for me, it's, though, uneven to the extent... I'm not talking narratively, I just mean it's uneven to the extent that I think it's visually very, very pretty. I think that the action is quite well put together there are exhilarating parts in this film even the you know opening sequence with the the geisha corrupted oh, geisha cool. yeah incredibly very good cool. yeah i mean we said or at least i said to you and you agreed with me afterwards that this is one of those films and they're increasingly rare where i sort of wished it was longer i completely agree with that it's, it's just, about an hour and yeah, 40 minutes yeah, but i could have I, done two plus hours easily. and i think instead. actually i think if it had been if it had been i say this about about changing things around and and not dumbing down which is a word I've used and I don't think it deliberately dumbs it down I just think it tries to get into a more commercially viable length I'd quite like to see I I would ma imagine there's a director's cut out there I'd quite like to see a film with another hour mm. that is just story and building her character more you won't get it though I won't you? get it you might get 10 minutes that would that like. would be cool it would be cool to see and, that but. and then to, to that extent I think that yeah, again, action sequences. I mean, we've got like a spider tank, the spider tank part, yeah. fantastic. Even the, the throwback in the design of the car that they use here, which is clearly a nod to like the original anime. That that stuff is cool. I Philosophically, that that part's kind of taken out, isn't it? That car's, part's been kind of removed from the film because it felt to me like, like we know this is so influential on things like The Matrix, yeah. right? The, the 95 anime to, to The Matrix, which was in, what, 2000 and 
2 or something like that. The Matrix. No, 99. Um, yeah, so influential on something like that. And then The Matrix, the first film, was philosophically interesting and the second and third one are ridiculous. Yeah. But this, to me, it felt like an opportunity to explore interesting thoughts more deeply within within a commercial context like someone like Christopher Nolan gets no, I, all this I agree with you now, and right? I think I I think there is a cut of the film that exists that does that yeah I'm fairly confident there is but that's not the one we're um, reviewing right no but the one we're reviewing again don't get me wrong it's not the greatest film of all time I'm not going to sit there and go it's a classic but I am going to defend it I think what we could have got we could have got something a lot better we could have got an absolute nightmare like an absolute clusterfuck of a remake, which we didn't get. And yeah. I was relieved we didn't no, get it. I, and I'm with but you, what Paul, we did I, get was a solid sci-fi action right. that I quite enjoyed. But, but no, I, I'm absolutely with you. But I, I'm, yeah. I'm loath to like review films where we go, oh, it deserves credit because it wasn't an absolute disaster. But also, let's not get carried away and say it was the best film no, ever. There's a no, lot of fair. middle that's ground fair. there, right? There is. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a weird one, this one, because I think that... Like I said, you know, there are parts that I just that I found exhilarating that I loved that 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 felt more cinematic than anything I've seen in a while. You know, particularly in terms of sci-fi, and then there were parts of it where I felt a bit like, oh, we're going through the motions of a sort of standard reworking of a, of a thing that we're maybe more or less familiar with, depending on on whether you've seen the original or not. Um, but I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. I'd see it again. I saw it in IMAX. I don't know. Did you see it in I'm IMAX as well? IMAX, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the way to see this film if you have the chance. Yeah. Because sound wise, because visually, like it's such a, an overpowering experience that you should see it in that format if if you can. Yeah. Don't don't expect don't expect to like it as much as you like the original. Don't watch it on your you phone. Won't. Certainly don't watch it on your phone. Don't expect it to. Yeah. Certainly don't watch it on your phone. Don't expect it to like it as much as you like the original. For me. As I said, and I'll reiterate, I nearly have and may still get a Laughing Man tattoo, so that should give you an indication, those who know the series well, how much of a fan I am. For me, it sits nicely as another entry into the Ghost in the Shell. Camera. Yeah, and another entry, we were talking about this, like another entry into the Scarlett Johansson sort of, um, you know, future identity trilogy or quadrilogy, right? Because we've yeah. got her and we've got this and we've got Under the Skin. And I think there was another one that we mentioned when we had this conversation before, right? Number four. Lucy. Uh, Lucy, yeah, of course, Lucy. Another film, by the way, in which you have, this time, uh, American dialogue or English dialogue with Korean dialogue yes. with no connecting yeah. meat in between the two. So, yeah. yeah, it's got that in common. But, yeah, def- like cinema fans, go watch Ghost in the Shell. Don't be silly. But, you know, this is a... Yeah. When we get into these conversations, I feel like if you say anything negative, it sounds like you're saying don't see it. No, absolutely not. No. Go see it for sure. I think there are a couple of issues, but there are, and as I said, I, there could have been a lot more. As I maintain you that it's not perfect by any stretch, by a long stretch, it's not perfect. And right. Could it have been better? Yes, it could. As it stands, for me, you've kind of got a Prometheus level enjoyable sci-fi action film. Yeah, and to be fair, I'd say I probably enjoyed it more than Prometheus. I probably would as well. Yeah, I don't know yeah. Why I so, Prometheus. so th- no, but that's a good comparison, I think, because yeah. yeah, if you you probably get that reference if you're into this kind of stuff. Yeah, where you'd go, where you'd go. Okay, it's not. As, in fact, no, I think it's a good comparison. Not as thought provoking as it should have been, uh, but certainly not the disaster that you thought when it first came out. Absolutely, there we go. And, and truly cinematic. Yeah. 
So this brings us out of this section into um, credits. No, not credits no, anymore. Not credits. Homework I section. That, Pete, I did that deliberately. So, so homework section now is going to be the section in which uh, Paul sets me some homework, a film that I have to see for a particular reason, and then I return the favour and set him something for him to watch. We will then guarantee listeners that we will review both of these films on next week's show. This will be a, a week today, Monday, if you're listening on Monday. Paul. Do I do it, Pete? Do I do, do, do I be worst. mean? You've seen me looking to the right. Do your worst. I feel like you already set me a homework off I air. think I think I did. And do you know what? I will No, do you know what? I will save this one because I haven't seen it yet. So I will I will okay. go with my original homework. Uh just to say the no, I'm gonna save the other one as a surprise. My original homework closely linked to what we we're just talking about. Mm. Uh Ghost in the Shell Two, Innocence. Mm. Uh, which is the sequel to Ghost in the Shell, which is an awesome film, if occasionally very pretentious, but all the best Japanese, Japanese yeah, anime I, is quite pretentious. You see, I, I don't think so. I made it clear when we did the review, but Paul listed off the what, half dozen or more things Ghost in the Shell related that he's already seen. I've seen the original anime, number one from 1995, and that's it. Nothing else. So, yeah, this is a, a good one. For the me. only reason I listed those films is because I know I was going to get blasted by the militant geek. So I just wanted <laughs> to make it clear that I, I am aware of the subject matter. But, yeah, Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, is my uh, is my pick for you. Superb film. Uh, weirdly lacking the major, obviously, after the end of the first film. But well worth a watch. So I'd be interested to see you, hear your thoughts next week, Pete. Okay, so I'm going to go for... I had something in mind, and then I sort of made a, a change earlier in the show when we were having a conversation, which is... Um, I'm going to, instead of going for the Michael Pitt thing, maybe I'll keep that for later, I'm going to go for um, Mark Duplass in Creep. Because you were talking about creepy, yeah, um, creepy individuals in general, and because I know that you're a fan of Mark Duplass, this is a bit of a softball, really, because um, it's probably going to be something you'll quite like. Well, Ghost in the Shell 2 is you know, a fairly easy one for you. So uh, we'll... Absolutely. We're starting very, very amicable yeah. on the first one. Yeah. It might not stay like that forever, but for now, that's the yeah. way that it is. So, yeah, uh, Creep, I believe it's available at Netflix streaming at the moment, uh, in the UK anyway. So, um, listeners, play along if you like. Uh, if you have you know, access to either uh, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence... Yes. Yeah. Or uh, creep with Mark Duplass playing a creep. Then uh, get involved. Watch those films, and when we come to review them on next week's show, you will have your own opinion already formed, and you can get in touch and see if you agree or disagree with our takes. Uh, what was your film quote from last week? I don't even remember, man. You don't that remember. feature's got. Are go. we just dropping that feature? I think. Uh, no, I know what it was. <laughs> it, it was. Uh, she's not going to come, and it is, of course, a quote from the film. Show, it showed on film four this week. Requiem for a dream. The saddest. The part that gets me the hardest in the gut every time I watch that film. Uh, she's not going to come when Jared Leto is uh, slightly dismembered and knows that Marion is not there for him anymore. It's a pretty devastating scene. Yeah, this is tremendously, uh, tremendously sad. Have you got a new one for this week? And uh, bef before you get to it, or for thinking time, I just need to say, yeah, you listening to this, uh, thanks for doing that. Please keep doing it. And please tell at least one other person that they should check out our show. We need all the support that we can get. We appreciate all of it. We're available for your comments via Facebook, uh, Strangers in a Cinema. Also, at Strangers Cinema on Twitter, We've got an email address, which is strangersinacinema at gmail.com. 
Um, and all of the episodes of this show you'll find on SoundCloud listed under our name, Strangers in a Cinema. So you can listen back to as far back as like two and a half years ago or something like that. Get involved, please. Uh, get at us. Give us your comments. We want to bring in a listener question. Uh, excuse me, a listener questions section. If we could do that, then I think that would really add a lot of um, an interest to the first part of the show. But we need more interaction. We get some interaction from from listeners. We need more. So get involved. You know, before the next time. And on that subject. Yes. To close. To close, Paul has something to say. What the I hell is he think talking people about? Might get this one, but. Do or do not, there is no try. <laughs>